0: All right, let's go to slide number one. Um, If you don't learn anything else today, learn this. The title of the book is not Revelations, plural. It's Revelation, singular. And don't forget it. (laughs) So that's why I put that cute little strike through on the PowerPoint there. Uh, It is the book of Revelation. The Greek word is apocalypsis. It is a singular uh, revelation, and it's a revelation of a person. The title of my message today is It's All About Jesus. It's All About Jesus. Now, some would say, Well, I don't care anything about uh, prophecy, just preach Jesus. Well, look what it says in Revelation 19. Verse 10 says the spirit, excuse me, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you don't care about prophecy, then you don't care about Jesus. Because Jesus, the the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So as we read the book, let's be careful that we don't lose Jesus in all the symbols and the, uh, the fascination with the futuristic section and so forth. Because it's all about him. Everything is about, is about Jesus and his lordship. Uh, this is different than the book of Daniel. Daniel took place over a lot of years. You know, roughly 60 or 70, 80 years of Daniel's life. But the book of Revelation, John received that vision, a singular vision on a day. And uh, I have to imagine it probably scared him to death. Uh, and it would it would have scared me too. Um, let's go to the next slide. We're going to go through these quickly this morning as my New Year's present to you. <laughs> um, who's the author of the book? John. John the Revelator. Now, uh, I want to go back to the, the title again. It is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ, it's not the revelation of John, (laughs) my my Bible says the revelation of Saint John the divine, Um, but it's it's the revelation of Jesus, but John is the human author, now this is the same guy that was the apostle that leaned on Jesus' breast, same guy that wrote the gospel of John, that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, now the interesting thing to me about John is that most of his ministry, his writing ministry, took place at the end of his life, you know. Um, some of John's most fruitful ministry was when he was in his 90s. we have anybody in their 90s here this morning? No? Okay. I know we have some in our assembly. So, but I want you to understand that your best days are not behind you. You know, I don't care how old you are; you can have a fruitful ministry, uh, and and your um, your future is bright <laughs> if you got if you got the Lord in your life. Um, now, some people say that John they portray him as kind of this feminine guy because he leaned on Jesus's breast, but you have to remember one of his nicknames was what. Son, son of thunder. Um, I, I imagine he he earned that handle. Probably a pretty tough guy. At one point, he wanted to call fire down from heaven, and and kill everybody that he was. You know, uh, that's that's one way to run a revival, isn't it? <laughs> Lord, they're not going to repent. Just kill them all. Just just call fire fire down from heaven. So he's the author of the book. Um, and most people don't dispute. The only real dispute is about the handwriting style. Uh, scholars say that the handwriting style is different than it is in uh, the Gospel of John. But let me just put yourself in John's shoes. Uh, Jesus Christ appears to him and scares him half to death. And he travels through time. <laughs> and he sees things that, it, that hadn't even been invented yet. Do you think your hand might be shaking just a little bit too? Uh, if you're right. And I know mine would. All right. Next slide. Where? The Isle of Patmos. Now, why was John there? Was he looking for some, uh, some retirement property? <laughs> he was banished there. He was exiled. This was off the coast of Asia Minor, uh, the Aegean Sea. Um, John had already... Now, the tradition, we don't know this for certain... But the tradition is that John had already been boiled in oil and survived. You know, and you think you've been in hot water. But that was a bad joke, I'm sorry. But, uh, but John's tradition has it that he was boiled in oil. And, uh, and Domitian was the emperor, and he didn't like John. Now remember, this is a 90-year-old man. But he was the enemy of the state. <laughs> they were... The, the emperor was Domitian. And so what do you do with a guy? You, you boil him in oil and he won't burn. So I guess you just put him on a rock, right? You put him out on Alcatraz. So here he is um, on, on the Isle of Patmos. Now, the, uh, there's an application here. Maybe you're in a God-forsaken place, you know, in your life. Uh, maybe you feel like you're, you're in a place... Nobody knows who you are. Your, your ministry is uh, insignificant. Uh, but I want to say some of your greatest work might be done in the most insignificant places. Next slide. To whom was the book written? Seven churches, good. Just want to make sure y'all are awake. Y'all stayed up late watching the ball drop, didn't you? Or you watched the football game? I didn't care because Alabama wasn't playing for the national championship, so <laughs> it didn't matter to me. But John writes to the seven churches. This book is not written to the unbeliever, okay? It's written to the Christian. Now, if you want uh, something for the unbeliever, direct them to the gospel of John because John says that he wrote the gospel so that you would believe and that having life, you know, you would believe uh, and have life. John in in Revelation 1-9, he puts himself on the same level as the the readers. Let's go to the next slide. When was it written? Now here's where there's some considerable debate about it. Uh, There is a group of people called Preterists. And they believe that most of the book of Revelation was written in the 60s. Uh, under the Emperor Nero, but the the uh, the evidence just won't bear that out. Um, it was written around ninety five A.D. under the Emperor of Domitian. Now, how many of you have heard of a guy named Irenaeus? Willie, anybody else? Pre- Preacher Larry, I'm sure. Preacher Jackson has too. Um, how many of you heard of Polycarp? A few more. Polycarp was a disciple of John. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. So Irenaeus is only about one generation removed from uh, from John, the apostle. And Irenaeus, and I've got the quote up here on the board, uh, says that the revelation or the apocalypse, the apocalypsis in Greek, was written uh, during the end of the reign of Domitian which was around 95, uh, 96 A.D. Um, and, and, that, and there's some internal uh, biblical evidence for this too. Um, Book of, when Jesus writes to the church at Ephesus, he says that they had left their first love. Well, in the 60s and 70s, there's no evidence of that. When Paul writes to them, you know, uh, that they had written their, they had left their first love. And the church at um, Laodicea, Jesus says that they were a rich church, they were wealthy. You ever read that? Well in the 60s, uh, there was an earthquake. Laodicea destroyed the whole city. So they wouldn't have been prosperous during that time period. So uh, we'll we'll get on we'll talk more about that later. Um, let's go to the next slide. How is revelation organized? Revelation 119 gives us, I believe, the outline of the book, and that will help us to understand. Revelation 119, Jesus says, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be what? Hereafter. Now, there's, uh, there's basically four views of how Revelation should be interpreted. One is the preterist view. That's the view that everything happened in the first century, that Nero is Antichrist, and uh, nothing else to be fulfilled. Um, and there's a lot of popular preachers that believe that. R.C. Sproul believed that, and I liked R.C. Sproul, but he was—I think—he was wrong on this that one. Um, Hank Hentigraph. Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, He—he's a preterist. But the other view uh, is historicism, and that is the, that. The book of Revelation finds its fulfillment throughout church history. Uh, the problem with that is that you, it becomes highly uh, subjective. You know, as you, you're going to try to say, well, this fits this and this means that. The book of Revelation, most of the symbols are interpreted within the letter um, of, of Revelation. Uh, the futurist view, is, which is what we're, we're going to pre- be presenting, is that after chapter 4, or from chapter 4 on, uh, it's all futuristic. The other is the symbolic view uh, that everything's just an allegory, just a, parab- uh, a parable. And uh, there are some symbols, certainly, that we can draw from, but I don't think that's the best view um, of, of the book of Revelation. Um, I was going to get into the Greek about meta here, but I'm, I'm just going to save that. I'm going to save that. Let's go into the next slide. The method of delivery. Now, some people may not realize how the, book, how the message is conveyed. Look in verse 1 of Revelation 1. It says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the next phrase say? Which God gave to Him. So the Father gave the revelation to the Son. A lot of people don't understand that, that God the Father gave the revelation to the Son to show unto his servants. Uh, So so then uh, Jesus then gives the message to an angel. We don't know what his name is. Then the angel gives the book to John. Then John writes the book of Revelation. Then he sends it to uh, the churches, or he sends it to the, the the messages to the the angels of the churches. Then finally, uh, from the messenger uh, to the listener or the hearer. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this issue of the angel of, of the church. Uh, looking. Um, Revelation 1 verse 20. And the Lord talks about the mystery of the the uh, the seven stars. And who are the seven stars uh, in, in the book of Revelation? The angels of the seven churches, right? So, what does this word "angel" mean? Well, mo- usually it means an angelic, uh, heavenly being, celestial being. But in um, in Luke, and I put the uh, the verse up here, Luke chapter seven, the same Greek word for angel is translated as messenger. In Luke seven twenty four, and in Luke seven twenty seven. And he refers, in this case, to John the Baptist. So, and I think this this best keeps with the chain uh, of communication because you have from the father to the son, from the son to the angel, to the angel to John, John to the book. Then if John is going to communicate to an angel, that just seems like a backwards chain of command there, you know. Furthermore, angels are not really in charge of, you know, preaching and teaching to the churches. So I think this would be best understood as a pastor or a leader or an elder uh, of the church. All right, next slide. What is a book about? (laughs) Is it just to confuse us? Is that why God gave us the book of Revelation? Just so that we could speculate about who the Antichrist was? Um, I would say no. The book was written to comfort the churches. Um, These churches were going through a lot of difficult times. Going through tremendous persecution. And I want to say this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life will not be a cakewalk. And we heard in the testimonies today, didn't we? That if you're a believer in the Lord, you're going to have problems. That's part of the experience. But God's going to make Himself real to you uh, in your pain and in your problems. And without a test, there's no testimony. Right? So the book of Revelation encourages us because, guys, no matter what happens today or tomorrow, we win. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're on the winning side. And sometimes you look around and you wonder, right? You wonder, you say, well, God, am I on the right side? Because, you know, I'm having problems that my neighbor's not having. And we have to be reminded that we are on the winning side. If you're with Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's the winner. Now, if you're following Satan, he's already lost. He's a a loser, and I'm not trying to mock him or or be disrespectful, Um, but but he's on the losing side. He's a defeated foe. Now, I'm sure if you search through the channels today, you could probably catch a review of yesterday's bowl games, right? And if you wanted to, which I don't know why you'd want to, but if you wanted to, you could watch Georgia beat Ohio State. Roll Tide. You know, it would be be foolish for me, spoiler alert, Georgia won. It would be foolish for me to watch that game and be on the edge of my seat rooting for Ohio State. Why? Because I know the outcome. See, I know the outcome of the game. Now, I know, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but I love Duke basketball, and, I, you know, and I'm sorry. I know that offends some of you. But one of my favorite things to do every year, if I get a chance, is to watch Duke versus Kentucky in 1992. And there's just a few seconds left, and Grant Hill is inbounding the ball, and Christian Laettner, you know, he catches the ball, he fakes, he fakes, he turns around. he shoots. And he scores. And Vern Lundquist goes, Yes! One of my favorite calls. But when I watch the game, am I in any suspense? I think, man, I wonder how this is going to work out. Is Christian Leitner going to hit the shot this time? <laughs> no. Right? I'm just waiting for Vern Lundquist to go, yes. And to see Thomas Hill start crying on the sideline because I know the outcome. Right? We have, if you've read the book, you know the outcome. We win. We're on the winning side. One day, all of my tears will be dried up. One day, all of my pain will be gone. One day, my sin will no longer be a reality for me. I won't have a sin nature anymore. It also shows us that God keeps his promises. God made a lot of promises to the Jewish people, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Many of those promises have to King David. God promised King David, you're going you're to reign. Gabriel told, uh, Gabriel told Mary that Jesus Christ was going to ru- rule and reign on the throne of his father, David. And notice when you get past Revelation chapter 3, which is the church section, the whole thing gets real Jewish. You ever notice that? There's 144,000 Jews. There's two witnesses that look a whole lot like Moses and Elijah. Um, there's, there's the woman clothed with the moon and the stars, the woman that which represents Israel. The temple is there, uh, Revelation 11 and 12. So the whole thing gets real Jewish. Um, and God's going to keep his promises. And, you know, Revelation 11 15, I really love this verse. It says, The angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. <laughs> That's Psalm 2 fulfilled. We've been praying that prayer for nearly 2,000 years, haven't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Revelation shows us, like no other book, that this man who has been mocked, ridiculed, despised, rejected, crucified, will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Praise God. Let's go to the next slide. There's only one more after this. But it's got 12 points. I'm just kidding. Why was it written? To comfort the churches, for sure. Because they were going through trouble. They needed, to know, they needed to have some perspective. When you're going through a tough spot, you need to have some perspective about it and understand that your trial didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Trials don't stay forever. Problems don't stay forever, guys. But the Lord said he would be with you always, to the, even to the end of the age. We also see God's hatred of sin. All of the plagues and the judgments and the cataclysmic events that are taking place in the book of Revelation, they're taking place because of God's hatred against sin. God hates sin. Uh, So why does the believer need to, to know about this? Well, because believers can and do sin. But before you sin the next time, and we all sin every day in thought or, you know, in deed or whatever... But before you do next time, think about how God feels about it. Think about what it did to Jesus. Think about what our sin, what your sin and my sin did to Jesus. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? But we also see God's God's intentional design. We're going to see a new world as God intended it to be. You know, I, I have in a discourse with atheists and agnostics from time to time. And one of the things they often will confront you with is, well, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do babies get sick and die? Why, why is there cancer? And my, my easy answer to that is, is that God did not design it that way. In God's original design for mankind, there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no hatred, there was no racism, there was no lust, there was no murder, there was no injustice whatsoever. When God designed the universe and he made man in his own image, the only thing God could say about it is, it's good. It's good. The reason the world is so broken is not because of God. It's because of sin. When sin entered into the world, death entered in. And every problem came because of sin. The world is broken because of sin. And the book of Revelation shows us what God originally intended and what it will be. One day there will be no more funerals, my friends. No more. No more heartache. No more sickness. No more disease. No more sad goodbyes. No more separation from the people that we love. I've got some people waiting on me just outside. (laughs) Or just inside the Eastern Gate. How about you? Some folks that love me, some folks that I love. Some folks that have taught me about Jesus Christ. But now their faith has become sight. (laughs) Last slide. What makes this book so special? It's the only book of the Bible that I know of. Feel free to correct me. That has the audacity to uh, to say, Read me, I'm special. <laughs> Look at Revelation 1 3. Blessed is he that readeth. This book was intended to be read. I've done some research on church history and found out that a lot of the churches use the book of Revelation in their worship. Now, Brother Ronnie could probably tell me this, Sherry could too. Because I don't know, but I'm told that there's a ton of hymns that were written based off the book of Revelation. Is that true, Brother Ronnie? I can't see. Okay, he he didn't say that with much conviction. (laughs) And I could be wrong, but but from what I read, there was a lot of worship, uh, a lot of the worship services in the early church uh, used the book of Revelation. Now, look at Revelation 22. Flip there real quick. The good thing about the book of Revelation, when I tell you to turn there, it won't take long, will it? It's not like going to the book of Nahum or something, or Habakkuk. Revelation 22. Now look at verse 18. If any man shall add unto the words of this book, and this is the book of Revelation, God shall add unto him what? The plagues that are written in the book. That's terrible, isn't it? And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, what's God going to do? Dear me. It seems to me that God takes the book of Revelation pretty seriously. So you pray for me, that I won't add to it, and I won't take away from it. But I'll preach it just as it is. Untainted, as it has been preserved uh, in God's holy word. So what does that say about the people that won't preach on it? Well, on the, on the plus side, they're not going to get a blessing. Because there's a blessing. I believe we're going to be blessed this year because we're going to go through the book of Revelation. And by the way, the blessing is not just for the reader, but also for the heater. We have to keep it's not enough just to hear it. We've got to obey it too. We've got to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. But to those that would say, Well, no, I don't like the book, I'm not going to preach on it, in essence you're taking away from it. You're subtracting from God's canon of scripture. And that's a dangerous thing. Out of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, there's over 278 allusions to the Old Testament. And it's been popular, become popular in recent years for some big-name preachers to say, you know, we don't need to read the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't read the Old Testament, you're going to be lost in the book of Revelation. <laughs> if, you start, if you just start in the book of Revelation, you're going to be like, whoa, what's this? What's that? Because there's over 200, and here's what I think, this is my opinion. I think the blessing that comes from the book of Revelation is because in order to study the book uh, and to do it justice, you've got to study the whole Bible. And I think in looking at the whole panoramic view of God's plan for humanity, there's a great blessing in that. And that's just my view. There may be many other blessings, you know, but I believe that's one. Uh, the numbers. You ever notice the numbers in the book of Revelation? Seven, four, A repetition of those things. Jesus is revealed not only as the Lamb of God, even though he's revealed that way, but as what? The Lion of the tribe of Jesus. G- the book of Revelation shows Jesus in a light that the Gospels don't show him. No other book shows Jesus. As the book of Revelation, as a soon coming king. And he's coming to destroy his enemies, folks. We see the prominence of angels, like no other book. Also, and I'll close with this without the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of unresolved issues. Like, what happens to sin? What happens to Satan? Without the book of Revelation, we don't know. But thank God we do know. He will be destroyed. And God's people will rule and reign for a thousand years and live forever with Him. I'm looking forward to this study. How about you? So I want you to make, I don't know if you make any New Year's resolutions. Uh, I don't put a whole lot of stock in them. If you own a treadmill, you know what I'm talking about. Because that's in a back bedroom with stuff hanging on it, right? But uh, I want us to resolve to read the Bible this year. I don't mean read it all the way through. Hopefully you can, that'd be great if you can't. But I just mean make daily reading, Bible reading. A part of your life, prayer, worship, and fellowship with the saints. Let's make church a priority in 2023. And what a great way to start the year! I know a lot of people were sick today, and um, and this is a holiday. But let's let's make this a year that where we uh, we set some attendance records here at Deep Springs, and not low attendance records. You know, <laughs> well, this is the least people we've ever had on a Sunday. Um, but let's let's enjoy this. I think you're going to really enjoy the study. I have already thoroughly enjoyed preparing for it. And I'm just looking forward to going through this book with you. Let's, Let's stand. The title of the message today is all about Jesus. It's all about him. The one who lived and died and rose again. He died for you and for me. And the wonderful part is, you can be on the winning side of history. You can be on the winning side. If you'll put your faith and your trust in the one who died for you and rose again and receive him as your Lord and your Savior, you can have eternal life. You may be here today. Maybe your 2022 wasn't too swift. Maybe you're carrying some baggage into the new year, maybe some hurt. Maybe some unforgiveness. This would be a perfect time for maybe there's some besetting sin in in your life, something that's just it's just a constant struggle. Listen, we all struggle. We all struggle with something in here. This would be a perfect time to just lay it on the altar and leave it there. So I invite you as 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 we hear the music this morning. Would you come and lay, leave your burden on the altar? And if you need Christ, come receive Him. We'll be glad to pray with you check it out.